Hello and welcome to the Fit Leaders Podcast, the podcast for leaders seeking sustainable success. I'm your host, David Chinsky, founder of the Institute for Leadership Fitness and creator of Fit Leaders Academy. Join me as we explore how fit leaders enjoy vibrant lives marked by personal health and sustained contributions. In this podcast, The Risk Quadrant, I want to talk about how comfortable we are as leaders in making risky decisions and taking risky actions. When we think about risk, we're often referring to decisions or actions that have an uncertain outcome, where the probability of success and or failure is unknown. So by definition, when we take a risk, there is always the possibility that what we are setting out to do is not going to work. And some organizations and some leaders are uncomfortable moving forward when they can't guarantee that what they do is going to work. And yet we all know from our own personal experience as well as our experience working in organizations that sometimes the biggest successes and the biggest breakthroughs occur by taking big risks. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And so while we want to be smart about risk taking, we want to do our homework, we want to vet our alternatives and our choices, sometimes taking that leap of faith is important, particularly where it is safe to fail, where failing simply leads to learning. So one of the things that can be helpful in this discussion of risk is understanding what our own personal appetite for risk-taking is. And I'm going to ask you to think about a risk that you've actually taken in the not-so-distant past, maybe within the last 6 to 12 months. Six months would be better than 12 months because you're going to be able to remember some of the other items I'm going to ask you to reflect upon. So if you can come up with a risk that you took, maybe a program that you decided to launch where you didn't have all the information you needed, maybe it was a key decision on hiring someone or maybe letting someone go, maybe embarking on a new strategy, developing a new product. I'd like you to think about that one risk that you took, and then I'd like you to think about two dimensions of your mindset as you made that decision or took that action. The first dimension is the dimension of clarity. How clear were you as you were about to take that action, as you were getting ready to move forward on this risky action or risky decision? I'd like you to rank your level of clarity before you made that decision, before you took that risk, on a scale of 1 to 10. So if you have a rank of 1 for clarity, that would be an indication that at the time, you really didn't know much about what you were about to do. There was no roadmap. Perhaps no one had ever done this before. Maybe you were unclear about what it was that you were trying to achieve or what your boss was trying to get you to achieve. So there was very, very little information at the beginning as you were deciding to move forward. A 10 on clarity would be an indication that you were very 
clear about what you were going to do. Maybe you've already done it. Maybe you had done something similar in the past. Maybe someone else had done it. And so you had a set of guidelines or a set of steps that, that you could replicate to move this new decision or this new action or this new program forward. So once you've got this risk that you actually took, think about what level of clarity you brought to that decision to move forward. No information at all is a one all the way up to a 10 if you knew exactly what you were about to do and you knew a lot about how to do it. The second dimension that I would like you to rank is that of confidence. So how confident were you that you were going to be successful, that this risk was actually going to pay off? So again, on a scale of one to 10, a one would be, I'm shaking in my boots. Please don't ask me to do this. I'm the wrong person to do this. This isn't gonna work, it's gonna fail. So no confidence at all. A 10 for confidence would be, bring it on, I can do anything. So a 10 might even be bordering overconfidence, some cockiness where, where maybe you're willing to take on a risk without knowing a lot about it and you just think that you can do anything. And sometimes that might be right and sometimes it might not be right. So again, a one is being afraid of even starting, not thinking you're the right person, not having very much confidence at all. A 10 is very, very confident. I can do this in my sleep. I can do this with my eyes closed. So you've got the risk. You've got a level of clarity and a level of confidence between one and 10. So actually think about what that number on that scale would be and then identify what the outcome was from taking that risk. So let me give you a personal example. And I'm gonna give you an example that relates to my decision in late 2001 to leave my executive position at a company to start my own business. So my clarity rating was a seven. I had a pretty good sense of what I wanted to offer in terms of services to potential customers. Although I have to admit that I didn't know precisely which services would resonate the most. And so I certainly wouldn't say I knew exactly what I should be offering. I wouldn't give myself a 10, although I would give myself a seven on having enough information to be able to at least launch the business. My confidence rating was an eight. So while there's always risk in starting a new company, lots and lots of risk, we all know the statistics of, of failures, business failures, after the first year, after two years, after five years, and, and here I have a company that is approaching its 20th year in business, I felt that I knew enough from my experience as a business leader that I could pull it off, that I had learned what I needed to be able to start the business and to properly run it, manage it, market it, build products and services. And so that accounts for the confidence rating of eight. So. Clarity rating of seven, confidence of eight, no guarantee that it would work. It might not have worked, in which case I would have learned what I might need to do differently if I wanted to start again. Or it might have led me back to 
a position in a formal organization again to take a, a full-time job. The outcome though for me was that it worked, that it was a success, that I was able to create a set of products and services and to be able to attract hundreds of customers now to be able to deliver the services that back in 2001, I was contemplating. So I'd like you to be thinking about what your experience with risk is using this same approach to identifying a risk you took maybe within the last six to 12 months. How clear were you on a scale of one to 10 and how confident were you on a scale of one to 10? And then what was the outcome, whether it was positive or not so positive? This examination will give you a sense of how clarity and confidence contribute to making these kinds of decisions. And I often ask my, my clients when they do this exercise in our workshops, whether clarity or confidence was more important when they took the risk. Was it more important to know what steps to take and how you might proceed with this risk? Or was it more important that you had greater confidence? And I have to tell you, it's a mixed bag. There are many people for whom clarity is more important, that having enough information for them actually increased their confidence. And then there are others who said it was more important to be confident to have faith that this would work out and that they would learn the facts and get the clarity along the way. So there's no right or wrong answer. Ideally, we want to have a mixture of both clarity and confidence. And the more we have of both, the more likely we are to move forward and to actually take that risk. One of the things that I have built based on a lot of the feedback I've received from my clients when I facilitate their participation in this exercise is a quadrant. I put together a risk quadrant that shows the influence of clarity and confidence when it comes to taking risks. So I invite you, if you're not driving right now, and, and if you are, this is something that, that you can do later on when you are at your desk, go ahead and draw a two by two table with four quadrants. And at the very bottom of the two by two table, label it clarity. And on the left-hand side or the y-axis, label that confidence. So you've got clarity at the bottom and confidence on the left. And then of course, there'll be a low and a high for clarity. And then for confidence, the lower left would be low and the upper left will be high. So you've got a two by two table where you can have a different mix of clarity and confidence. So once you've got your table drawn, let's take a look at what it means to be in any of these four risk quadrants. If we're in the lower left quadrant where we have both low clarity and low confidence. So this might be where in the exercise that you just completed, you might have had a very low number on the ranking for clarity, maybe one or two, maybe three. And also for confidence, you indicated that you were low in confidence, maybe a, a rating of one or two or three. I call this quadrant the fearful and paralyzed quadrant. 
So when leaders score low on both clarity and confidence, they often are unsure of where to go. They're afraid of stepping out. They essentially remain in place. And so I call these individuals fearful and paralyzed because they don't really know where to start because they don't have enough information. They don't have sufficient clarity and they also don't have enough confidence to just strike out on their own regardless of the amount of clarity that they have. So they don't do anything. Imagine a deer in headlights where the deer just doesn't know what to do. And so it just stands there. So that's the first of four quadrants when we're looking at the influence of clarity and confidence on the taking of risk. If we move over to the right, so now we're in the lower right-hand quadrant where clarity is higher now, although confidence remains low. I call this quadrant the frustrated and stalled quadrant. So when leaders score high on clarity, although they're still low on confidence, they often find themselves restrained as they try to balance the certainty of knowing where they want to go with an absence of any conviction regarding next steps. So unlike the lower left quadrant where there's insufficient clarity and confidence to move forward, in this quadrant where we have high clarity and low confidence, because we know what to do, we get very frustrated because we don't have sufficient confidence to get started, to put one foot in front of the other. If we look at the upper left quadrant, where now we have high confidence, although we now have low clarity, I call this quadrant the impatient and overconfident quadrant. So this is where we don't have a lot of clarity. We don't really know what we need to be doing, how to start, and yet our confidence is at a very high level. Now, this is a dangerous place to be at times because this is where we can actually be driven by overconfidence, even though we don't have enough information to know what to do. And so we might move forward and do the wrong thing. Or in the absence of sufficient data, we may move forward because we are ready to go. We've got enough juice, enough energy, enough confidence and yet we could end up making a mistake. So we have to be careful that we don't race ahead without a solid understanding of where to go. And that's why I call these leaders impatient and overconfident. The last quadrant, the upper right quadrant, I call bold and focused. This is where we have high clarity and high confidence. So this is where leaders combine the knowledge of where they want to take their team with passion and courage to actually move forward. And that's why I call these leaders bold and focused. Now, one might conclude that this is where you wanna be if you want to be positioned to take risk, and yet you can be bold and focused because you have high levels of clarity and confidence and you can still have an outcome that is not desirable because all this risk quadrant is really measuring is our internal clarity and our internal confidence and not any of the external factors that could also cause a decision or an action that we take to fail. So there's no guarantee that we will succeed when we take a risk simply because we register high clarity and high confidence. And yet we're likely to be readier to take a risk if 
our own clarity and our own confidence are at a medium to higher level. So anything we can do to increase our clarity and increase our confidence by getting access to more information, doing some more homework, talking to other people that might be able to give us more information about what we're about to do, and anything we can do to boost our confidence by reflecting on past successes that we've had or talking to other people who have done this before and, and getting their reassurance that we have what it takes to succeed is simply going to position us more strongly to move forward and take a risk. Now, one of the last things I'd like to address in all of this is that there are at times impediments organizationally to taking risks. So there are some organizations that pride themselves on asking people to step up and take risks, take initiative. And yet when those same people who do step up, take a risk and they fail, they don't produce the desired outcome. Often we punish those people. We tell them that they will never be able to take another risk. So we pay lip service to the importance and the value to the organization's future success in taking risks and taking initiative. And yet when they fail, often those leaders are never able to take a risk again because they have the mark of failure. And so as organizations and as leaders in organizations, we've got to create the space for failure. We have to define failure as an essential step in the learning process. A failure is really nothing more than an unanticipated outcome. Gee, that's not what I expected to happen. I won't do it that way again. I'll do it a different way. So we have to be careful that we don't suppress risk-taking behavior by punishing people that fail because that will be the stronger message. We might be encouraging people to take risk, and yet if they see the consequences of taking a risk and failing, they're not going to take a risk again. And organizations need people to be willing to take risks because as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, often it's the risks we take that create the breakthroughs, that create the bigger successes. So be aware of what you're doing and what your organization is doing to discourage risk-taking and work to remove those barriers and also ask yourself, what are we doing to encourage risk-taking and how might I create an environment that has more of those elements that actually encourage risk-taking. Also ask yourself what risks you're avoiding. At the end of our lives, what we will regret more than anything else are the risks that we didn't take. We're not going to regret the risks we took and failed at as much as we are going to regret not having moved forward on risks, particularly in our own personal life. And yet this is also true as we lead organizations. We often miss great opportunities because we're afraid of moving forward, either because we don't have sufficient clarity or sufficient confidence, or because the organization is sending a mixed message with regard to moving forward and taking a risk. If you'd like to learn more about taking risk and how to become a fit leader, I invite you to visit our website, fitleadersacademy.com, fitleadersacademy.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.